friends. Well, welcome back to Trekology. Thank you so much for joining us. Here we are yet again. And who is we, you ask, if you are new? Well, my name is Jeff. I am one of your hosts. And with me always is Greg. How are you, Greg? Well, Jeff, I'm doing all right. All right. We're pretty busy here at the house. Yeah. But, but getting stuff done. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do, I mean, the house is coming along, right? It's Coming along, we still have a hole in our ceiling. That's but... true. That's true. But yeah. it's only, it's a partially obscured hole. Yes. Well, that's the rain good. is going in. Yeah. But varnishing the shelves. Okay. Going to put those up hopefully tomorrow. Did you know this polyurethane coat, it takes 24 hours to dry? Does it really? That seems excessive. So this is like weather, ta weather for like weatherproofing? No, it's to make it more durable on the top because it's a laundry room. We're going to have like our. Oh. Our detergent and stuff up there, and that oh. stuff leaks. Okay. So. Okay. Yeah. Well, I remember uh, I did a house build in Mexico at one point, and they were one of the big problems was uh, the the elements would really beat beat up on those houses. Yeah. So they did say that like when you paint them, the paint offers a certain level of protection, but that's only really about five years. But then if you cover it with like the weatherproofing, then that's what really makes it last for like a long time. Um, but then that's springing for kind of the extra the extra thing. So I don't know if around here, I mean, especially if you have like stucco, they, they, that, that doesn't quite, that's already weather tough, I but think for so. wood. I think that exterior paint too that you buy, mm -hmm. I think that's got a lot of that oh, it could qualities be. in it. As long as you're buying not the cheapest stuff. Oh, so. well. <laughs> there goes me, I suppose. <laughs> so the when I got my motorcycle, uh, my r r latest motorcycle, uh, it was like a, it had been a wreck and the guy had like fixed it back up again and stuff like that. And so he had bought, he didn't buy paint. He bought, what is it? It's like, it's like grip stuff. So it's like this, this like rubberized like spray, but it's really? black. So the whole thing is spur like, and so, but you can literally peel off all of the paint if you wanted to. So it's wow. interesting. It's very tough. That's nice. It's like it's got like a texture to it. Yeah. But it's probably not uh, durable. So no, it I wouldn't scratches so. right off. So <laughs> don't paint your motorcycles with uh, rubberized uh, stick of You uh, hear everybody. that, kids? See? See, that's what we're all about, giving advice, giving advice. Speaking of advice, no, not speaking of advice at all, but speaking of Star Trek, what um, what has your Star Trek life been like these last two weeks, Greg? Any uh, Star Trek times you know i really haven't had any time for star trek <gasps> I know. how dare you between rings of power the great british bake-off and teaching my son how to play minecraft wow okay <laughs> that's true you did invest in it you got yourself a switch i did so that 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 sucks away your time yeah so basically you're saying it's not that you have no time for star trek it's that you would prefer to spend your time on the switch than watching stuff. Yeah, that's it. Ha, 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 ha. There it is. There it is. Because you're not, you wouldn't call yourself much of a video game guy. Is no, that true? I'm not. Okay. So, casually. Like okay. I have found very, like, the world of Star Trek video games is quite sad. Like, there are very, very few good Star Trek video games. So, I went to Target to buy the Switch, and right next to where they have their display case there, is a Star Trek Prodigy video game. Hmm. And for the Switch? For the Switch. Okay. And I was this close <laughs> to buying it. And then I looked at it and I was like, this looks terrible. Yeah, it probably does. It's probably the thing that I bet you you'll be able to get on clearance in right. like three months. Right. Yeah. I'm going to wait till it's $10. Okay. Okay. I will say, well, because so for me, and I've even noticed there's a couple of uh, Star Trek like mobile games that you could download for your mm -hmm. phone. And the challenge is, just as I think the TV shows have come into the challenge, is that what I think makes Star Trek Star Trek is not pew, 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 blowing stuff up. But that's what people want to do in a video game. You do sound a lot like your son right now. Pew, pew, pew. pew, pew, pew. pew. Oh, yeah. Well, he knows. Well, and that's why he loves Star Wars. Right. Star Wars is perfect for kids because it's all about pew. Now, it's way too, like, if we're honest, like, my son always wants to whack things with a lightsaber or pew people. <laughs> and it wouldn't it be wonderful if he was more like, I want to scan this life form for a new... <laughs> that would be... Oh, that'd be lovely. That would and, be. 
And that's what a, a good Star Trek game should do mm-hmm. to really represent, kind of like we talked about, like Star Trek experience or stuff like that, would be much more in line with the yeah. heart of Star Trek. Investigative. Yeah. Rather than destructive. Exactly. Exactly. So for me, I've found there were maybe, oh, I'm trying to think of a third. There were three really good Star Trek video games. The first one, which I still say is probably the best one, is they did Star Trek, I can't remember if it was 25th or 20th anniversary, which was original series. So it would have come out in like, what, the early 80s or something like that. So it's like DOS-based and it's like pixelated and stuff like that. But one, like for back then beautiful colors like the red really pops of the red uh, tunics and uh, the gold and the blue and all of that they got all the original cast to do the voices and it is literally like you go around and you have to click and figure out these mysteries Mm -hmm. and stuff like that invariably if you push the wrong button a red shirt gets killed and you have oh and then it makes this like as somebody like you shot the wrong thing with your phaser and then a rock crushed him and stuff like that uh and then you you uh, I think you can still continue on. I mean, it's, you know, you got plenty of red shirts, but, uh, and then they did have, uh, they did have a similar one for um, next generation called final unity. Same thing, same voice cast, mm-hmm. all focused on like this large mystery sort of a thing uh, for the, the episode that you were gone for when Adam was our, our uh, your fill in, we were talking about uh, back in high school. I we I invited some friends over, and they we were playing pretty much the only video game that my computer had, which was Star Trek 25th Anniversary. And my friend Justin, who was not really a Star Trek guy, he was just like, "This is boring. Let's go find some Klingons to fight." And so he <laughs> takes the Enterprise into the neutral zone, looking for a fight. Of and course, seventeen-year-old Jeff is like, "What are you doing? Are you crazy?" It's true. It's true. So they've been teasing me about that ever since. (laughs) Have you played No Man's Sky? Yes. I would say that is much more Star Trek-y than any of the recent Star Trek games. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a lot of scanning. It is, but the problem is there's very little story. And I feel like story is a big part of Star Trek. Mm -hmm. And at least in my experience, like it was, it's a solo thing. It is. I'm doing it all sure. by myself, which is very unstar Trek. That is as very. Well. You're right. Yeah. But less pew pew pew, more science. Right. Uh, one more that I did want to throw in that one day, hopefully, we'll be able to experience. But we had talked a while ago about having the uh, Star Trek customizable card game right so and i had ordered uh uh some some cards because mine had all disappeared however it wasn't a complete like deck so we weren't able to play but then i went and i finally oh i've actually tried to order three different times but finally i did get a completed deck so we are able to someday play the customizable card game and introduce you to all of that, as well as for me trying to figure out, because I never played the expansion, and there was a whole like trouble with tribbles thing. They even introduced <laughs> like the Dominion, mm-hmm. like the Dominion was not part of the original. Those were all just considered assorted aliens. Yeah, in fact, I don't. I'm pretty sure the Borg, the Borg became playable characters at some point, whereas initially they were just like like obstacles, where right. it's just like you're completing this mission, and then a Borg scout ship shows up, and you have to compete with that yeah yeah it's true or they crash land or or i think there's one where you can uh, you run into the uh what is it the rebel the rebel borg that lore had uh manipulated but it was a very small challenge it was more of a nuisance than it was Mm -hmm. an actual like obstacle but anyway something to look forward to yes definitely can't wait all right well let us dive in then this episode my friends because Uh, As we have been doing this season, we've been tackling a different Star Trek episode each episode of ours uh, and watching it first and then uh, chewing on some of the the themes that came out of it. So we started off with the original series. We're going to do three episodes of the original series. We started off with Doomsday Machine and then we did uh, the Balance of Terror. And now this episode, we are talking about A Taste of Armageddon, another season one episode. So, Greg, uh, uh, had you seen this episode before? Do you have a history with 
this one? Yeah, I've seen this. I've seen this episode a couple of times. Okay. I won't say that like right away it's my favorite episode. Or okay. But it's definitely up there. I thought it was a very interesting episode when I was younger, mm. and it still is. But, yeah. You know that it introduced me to to thinking about thinking about war in a different way. Mm. You know. So. Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, it's for me. I I realized as I was watching this, I don't think I'd ever seen this episode before. I definitely heard about it. Like mm-hmm. it's talked about a lot, and the the idea of the, uh, you know, the computer that's fighting the war for them and stuff like that. I don't think it's referenced in any other episode, but mm-hmm. it comes up a lot. There's a lot of quotable lines. The the one and we were talking about it earlier. The one that I've definitely seen clips of is Scotty's. Uh, I the haggis is in the fire now for sure and like <laughs> there's a couple of good quotable Scotty lines in this yeah. what was the one that you said the Spock one sir there's a multi-legged creature on your shoulder <laughs> <laughs> to distract the guard right <laughs> right which was so it was a very so if you've never seen this episode before one I'd encourage you to watch it it's the, the the Enterprise they're on a diplomatic mission they have this diplomat on board they come to this planet and uh, it's they're warned not to approach the planet, but the diplomat forces them to. They go down. They find out that there's these computers that are fighting this war for these two planets. And the computer just says, like, hey, this, like, attack happened and this many people were killed. And then people just have to report to the disintegration chamber and be disintegrated. Right. And so the whole, like, plot of the, the episode, obviously, is the, the Enterprise. They get quote destroyed by this program and so then they have to all report to be disintegrated and then of course kirk doesn't like that so they don't do that and then that causes more strife and stuff like that um i was very interested or surprised i guess that the guards most of the time didn't seem terribly like alarmed when people showed up no they really didn't right like when spock showed up with that line it kind of seemed like they didn't need to be distracted they weren't (laughs) they weren't like what are you doing here they were like oh hello are you here to be disintegrated you're not here to be disintegrated well golly yeah (laughs) any other any other like i don't know insights or impressions when you watched it this time what i found was interesting which i don't think i noticed before is how much they talk about uh morality and like the right thing to do the mm. the aliens the um, oh yeah I, and it goes it goes back to the great themes of the episode but these are people who believe that they are acting in a moral way right and i think arguably and we can discuss this further of course, yeah arguably maybe they are mm. yeah they do def- i mean they yeah they justify what they've been doing a mm. lot it seems the two that i noticed that stood out most was um the hats is that the aliens had <laughs> very interesting hats. Like, that seemed to be a thing. Is that a picture of... Yes. The cone hats. They were co- well, there was different kinds of hats. Right. We saw we saw some the the the, the uh, what are they called the council had no hats mm-hmm. but and the women didn't seem to have hats but the, the guards had one kind of hats and then seemed like other people yeah but that was an interesting and they had the the unique kind of like toga like half toga half pantsuit. Mm-hmm. outfit which was interesting i mean like for us today obviously when we're seeing like oh that's what you think an alien civilization looks like and we might kind of scoff at that but something that uh judy brought up as we were watching it is she was remarking on having seen um doctor who episodes from the 60s as well because she obviously she hasn't seen many sci-fi how many people have seen sci-fi from the 60s mm-hmm. but in watching doctor who episodes from the 60s it's like it's like night and day you watch it and it's just like it's literally people with like tubes just like glued on to their face or whatever and they're like look i'm an alien and it's much more of like the oh like it's it's very (laughs) it has aged much poorer i think i don't i don't know what people thought of it back then but at least by now's standard it looks you know ridiculous whereas looking at star trek is that yes, there's a little bit of, you know, that. And I mean, especially having it been remastered, I think makes a, a difference too. Mm-hmm. But all things considered, compared to their peers at the time, like it is, it's pretty impressive, I think, what they were able to do to differentiate all these different alien species. Yeah, it seems like in Star Trek a lot, and this is something that they refer to, is that all the aliens, they went with a less is more technique Mm. i feel like 
you know, how do you know somebody's an alien? Well, their foreheads look a little bit different. Right. You know, their ears look a little bit different. You know, <laughs> but not a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just enough. Yeah. And and doing that less is more. I think that that was huh. better than going whole hog on yeah. the tools. Interesting. Well, or Multiple even thinking about and stuff like right. That. Thinking about like. Um, the the bar the cantina scene in star wars right you were not supposed to have that experience you were supposed to look around and look at alien you were not supposed to relate or identify with any of them right you see all of these creatures and they're alien to you and it makes now it made you know luke feel very isolated Mm -hmm. he's all there by himself whereas in star trek i think you're right it's supposed you're supposed to be able to identify with these aliens, even when they, you know, bust out Klingons and Vulcans and Romulans and Andorians, is that yes, they are alien, but they're still relatable enough. Right. And I think that's an int- yeah, that's int- I hadn't thought it, about that. Instead of like the, I mean, you still have like the crystalline entity, you know, which sure. is very different. But that's, and that's the point exactly of that. That's supposed to be right, so, right. But the the ones that you're supposed to identify with, right? Yeah. Whereas the Andorians. They just got the uh, antenna on top yeah. of their head. You and no one ever it. talks about it either. They're just kind of like, because it's just who they are. It's nothing, yeah, it's nothing abnormal. And they just have blue skin. So like, okay, yeah. you have blue skin, but you're still very relatable as opposed to, because I think that's been a, a bash on Star Trek is the like, why does everybody look like humans out there? Well, there's a reason for that. in universe, Oh, oh yeah, too. exactly. So. Money, money is, is, is a big thing too, but... Um, but yeah, but I think that's an interesting side of it, right. is, uh, the relatability. Two other ones that I noticed as well was one when Spock does his little like mind control through the wall, which I don't know that we saw him do that again. No, I was very surprised when I saw right? that. Right? But it does, I mean, they have established, and again, this is season one, they have already established that Vulcans have some level of telepathy or something like that. Um, but I thought it was interesting, he doesn't refer to them as Vulcans. He refers to them as Vulcanians, which I think, and I don't know if they changed, maybe this is the first time that he referred to his species or, and then they changed it later that they're called Vulcans as opposed to Vulcanians. But I thought that was, for me, again, it did kind of remind me of the fact that uh, Americans come from America, Mexicans come from Mexico, and Canada has Canadians. Where do we get all these extra syllables? Why aren't there Canadians? I don't know. Same thing. (laughs) Vulcan, a a complaint to the nation of Canada change. Although, to be fair, did we as Americans come up with their name? It seems possible that we referred to them as Canadians when they're like, no, we're Canadians. That wouldn't seem out of, out of, out of touch. And all these people live in North America. Right. We took uh, Americans just for ourselves. Yeah. Well, because, yeah. Yeah. That's true. They're, they're not part of the United States of America. They're the the alien invaders of america right so the canadians are aliens yeah there you go. wow i mean yeah another one that we talked about uh in a previous episode was we've always kind of commented on the multiracial um cast that they have mm-hmm. and the fact that you know they have a uh, the japanese helmsman with sulu they have a, a a black communications officer they have a southern doctor they eventually get a uh, a navigator who is from Russia. They've got all these different things. But what I've noticed is interesting. I just always, in my head, assumed that the extras would all be white males. Like, that's all we're going to get. You right. throw in, like, a blonde, you throw in a yeoman Rand to, to sexy it up every now and again. But this was another episode where they beam down with someone we've never seen before, never will again, but she was a uh, an Asian female uh, yeoman. Yeah. that went down there and was kind of awesome. Like yeah. they even do the one thing like where if she tries to commit suicide, like sit on her or kick her butt or whatever. And then she just kind of like aims her, her pistol at her or something <laughs> like that. She had not a whole lot of faculty, but she came on an away mission for some reason. So I thought that was interesting that and I, I hadn't really paid attention to that before, but just that I think it was a intentional uh, casting of an interracial cast rather including extras not just the the main stars right yeah i agree and that's a big deal in the 60s it is yeah all right so um for me two things the uh that jumped out or questions i guess big questions that i had from this episode was one there was kind of like this overall theme that uh i thought was i thought it was 
initially very peculiar that Kirk was so like cold blooded and so diab like I mean diabolical seems a little extreme, but he was just literally like, if you don't let us go, I will destroy your planet and kill everyone on here. And I was just like, what is he talking about? Like, that's insane on so many levels. Especially because, you know, we just watched Balance of Terror, where he was literally like, we are expendable to try and... If, yeah. if this ship gets destroyed and we say avert a war, that's okay. I don't know that they explicitly line this out, but maybe everybody got this except for me. But that his point was that the the planet and this whole system of turning war into a computerized system had sterilized mm -hmm. war and his whole thing is the re one of the reasons we try and avoid war is because war is horrific and right. war is terrifying and we should do everything in our power to avoid that mm -hmm. but if you have sterilized it and made it very non you know whatever uh, there's no reason you just you've just learned to live with it and we can just go on as we have for 500 years with this war and we have no need for peace i thought that was a, and again i don't know how explicitly they lined that out but i'm sure that was the point of his you know general order 24 uh was to bring some of the horrors of war to this planet which <laughs> on one side there is no way the prime directive is like hey if you need to introduce the horrors of war to a civilization that, that's what we're about <laughs> don't don't forget that the horrors of war exist order 24 horrors of horrors war. of war yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> um but i thought that was a that was an interesting like premise of is the is the only reason for peace because war is so horrific mm. is that is that what the premise is that what he was going for i think that's what he was saying right in his in his speech to the to the um shoot what's he called the seventh archon or yeah something? the seventh archon yeah um you know that that's what he was saying is that you know you've sanitized this so much yeah. that you don't remember why war is so bad mm. I don't know that you know that didn't seem to make a lot of sense to me on this mm. honestly because he the seventh archon he mentions that his wife was disintegrated a couple years ago right i think he just said the last attack so it was, was maybe it even more attack? recently so yeah it didn't make a lot of sense to me that you would forget the horrors of war while your wife was dying yeah i mean my thought, like, after 500 years, so we're talking about, even if this is, like, an advanced civilization and people are living for 150 years or whatever, we're still talking about at least three or four or maybe even five generations. Yeah. Especially if now, I'm guessing the, the average lifespan is probably shorter because the chances that you're going to end up in the disintegration chamber right. are, you know, go up. They said, what, three million people die a year yeah. in this. So it did make me wonder a little bit of Thanos from the Avengers and his whole thing is the reason that people suffer is because there's just too many people. Mm -hmm. And I wonder how that aided their society. And having three million less people per year enabled that like they have less that less food to that needs to go out to those people. So there's more to go around. Like all of those like that kind of cold-blooded logic to it, I guess, which is what Spock says, right? Mm -hmm. That he says there's a, there's a certain cold-blooded logic to that, which is not even, it's not even like, hey, you know, we'd really benefit from killing these people, uh, but more just like that's a, uh, is that a... acceptable loss because it... Or maybe even like a side effect of mm -hmm. the, one of the reasons that this society, because that's the other part too. Uh, I mean, I, I, for me, is that Kirk sees this peaceful apparently thriving society and basically destroys it mm -hmm. like because one way or the other now are they going to go to war it's it's certainly possible that they are going to go and there's going to have to be some level of horror in order to remind them of the horrors of war yeah. uh, again at the very least they're going to have to have an entirely new way of life because after right. 500 years you know that this is this is the life they know and there's going to be 3 million more people per year that are still going to be around. Like, they're going to have to deal with overpopulation, like, all of those sort of things. Yeah, I don't know if those are all justifications about, therefore, it's okay. But it definitely seems like a, it's a very complex situation. It sounds like you're justifying killing 3 million people a year to 
I guess it, it's more like there were people. I don't know. Did people actually think Thanos was right in Avengers? I think so. We were supposed to see his point of view. Yeah. Whether we agreed with him or not, we were at least supposed to be like, well, he's not entirely wrong. And yeah. this is the same premise in some ways for a different <laughs> reason. But, but it's the same benefit. This isn't about population control. No, because but that's, that's, a, that's, that's a side effect. It seemed, seemed like about Thanos yes. is that it was population control. Oh, yeah. Like, that was his point. There are too many people here. Right. We need to call half of them. Right. And, I mean, there, there's there's overpopulation. There, there are legitimate concerns about that. Yeah. But the right way is not to call them. Yeah. It's not to call humanity. Right? Right. Because it's people have intrinsic value mm. and and just killing people is bad mm. which i feel like is obvious but i'm gonna state it anyway. okay fair enough <laughs> killing people especially for something like overpopulation is right. not a good thing that's right. morally wrong well that's but, the challenge though of like so is killing people different than letting them die no yes Sorry. Yeah, it, it, is, it is different from letting them down. Okay. But morally. Morally. Mm. But people should have a choice in whether they let die or not. That's true. Because they are, Which is tough because in war, you don't. A bomb no, drops you on your city. You don't have that choice either. No. Somebody else made that right. choice for you. Right. That's murder. Yeah. I wonder for us, have we as a culture sterilized war some too? Where... Uh, like the entire, per, like the, what was it? The Gulf War, is it the second Gulf War? One of those where it was all about the, was it the Patriot missiles? What were the missiles that we were firing? But it seemed like that was a large part of our offense mm -hmm. was shooting these missiles from this like naval carrier or something like that. Yeah, more so, and more that's true. Yeah. Because then American Americans aren't dying over right, there. Right, same thing with drone strikes, yeah. all of that. So it's like, so no, there's no human risk. No, no... No American lives will potentially be lost in this. Does that sanitize war? It does. Does that it, make it, it a little less? I remember reading that during, um, uh, you know, Obama's administration about all the drone strikes that he was using. Yeah. Because it, it does save American lives. Right. Like, that that was sanitizing it so much because we don't we don't see as many flag draped coffins coming home. Right. So we are more willing to stay in this conflict because mm. it's not costing us anything. Mm. But because we're not sending people to the disintegration chamber. Yeah. Right? Right. It's not like we're fighting a virtual battle and so many people die so we disintegrate them. Right. That's not happening. We're True. just we're just sending robots into the sky and yeah. bombing people. Yeah. And if a robot dies, we don't mind. No. Like I mean, it's gonna cost us money, and so we do kind of mind. Like, we, you know, how many millions of dollars these drones yeah. cost. Everybody's always ready to spend more on defense, though. That's true. So. That's, wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. Distinctly un-American to question that. Yeah, it does feel that way, doesn't it? But yeah, so, and that's and that's the part that I, I go back to wondering, like, and I don't know that it was necessarily Kirk's point that the main reason for peace is how horrible war is, but that mm -hmm. was at least a reason. It was. For peace. Which I do wonder, like, I don't know, like, Roddenberry's... As I understand, and maybe I have a simplistic view of Roddenberry's vision of the future, but was that once um, once hunger and poverty and all of that was uh, was gotten rid of, we would have no reason to fight among ourselves anymore. Mm -hmm. Like peace is the default. If you remove that, then we would we would naturally live in peace and be like you know exploring the galaxy and yeah. figuring out the greatest you know achievements for mankind and stuff like that. So so then you get something like this, and it's just like well, like in Star Trek history, there has been like the horrors of war. Yeah, they talked World about war it. Three. Exactly. They talked about that in like what was it encounter at Farpoint, right? Right. Where the whole uh, and same thing a little bit in. Uh, first contact yeah uh, that there and was some... enterprise too they refer to it do they yeah. oh, okay because i do kind of feel like this story was a pointed like again this is the 60s this mm -hmm. is the cold war this is the you know cuban missile crisis the threat of nuclear annihilation which in some ways was pretty similar somebody behind a counter pushing a button and then a rocket is launched and then millions of people die and now 
I think we understood that if we launch this thing, then they're going to launch this thing and a million of our people are going to die. But it not, isn't necessarily the person pushing the button. Right. So is, yeah, I don't know. Was that somewhat of his point about we should really avoid the horrors of war is a reason that we should, you know, disarm nuclear weapons as well. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> we never really find out why they're at war anyway. Right. It's just an old war that they're doing almost by habit. Right. Because they kind of, what was it, that the planet was popular, like it was... It was uh, settled by them. Exactly. Right? And yeah. so it was, so it kind of makes sense that they could be like rebels or yeah. kind of like in different stories about like where uh, Mars gets settled and then Mars kind of has a beef with mm -hmm. the Earth and stuff like that. So I think that, um, and, and that's kind of the point. It doesn't really matter. You know, right. after 500 years, the reasons have all been lost. And I think that's what definitely happened in this episode. Yeah. You know, it's become a way of life to them. Right. They walk over to the disintegration chamber, not, a, you know, unconcerned. Yep. Not only that, but it's a it's a moral duty right. to uphold their treaty with the other planet that right. they do do this. Yeah. And I guess that was part of it, too, that made me think. Have you seen Logan's Run? Yeah, a while ago. Okay. So Logan's Run is similar in the sense that... Uh, probably because of overpopulation, mm -hmm. um, when people turn 30, they're right. all, what is it? I think there's some spiritual belief that they are reborn or they ascend or whatever. And then Logan finds out that it's all it's all fake, that they actually right. just kill everybody and they turn 30. Um, but that was kind of my thought going back to like the Thanos and overpopulation thing is less about the reasons for it and the way they're doing it and all that, but more what does this do to a society? What does this do to those people? Because you're right, there were no tears mm -hmm. shed at the disintegration chamber. People would just, I mean, they even showed the one, what was it, the guard ushers somebody in, they go in very quietly, and then the guard goes in himself right afterwards. Right. And what, like, I don't know, the docile nature of life, I guess, mm -hmm. after 500 years that it's just like my life is over, like, all right, like, what do they believe happens like i don't know is there a spiritual side to it like yeah i mean you say docile but it's it's interesting to think they are doing they're upholding their treaty you know they, they to them they're doing a very moral upright thing sure they're living up to to what their society holds important yeah i mean again and that's the other part too after 500 years is that this has become you know the first hundred years, fifty years, whatever, mm -hmm. uh it could have been a very different thing. You know, right. people fighting against it. Them. Exactly. Exactly. But uh in this case, yeah. And, and I mean who knows? Maybe there there were pockets of people that resisted or something that just wasn't part of the episode. Mm -hmm. Um but yeah, it does feel like that's uh become their culture. Uh it does like it makes me think because like uh what is it like the the war in Ukraine, you know, now is up to mm -hmm six months nine months something like that and it felt like this was something that was supposed to be you know a couple of months or something like that right uh but it's thinking about like i was it made me think about like world war ii and um france was conquered pretty early on right was that 1939 1940 mm -hmm. uh and then wasn't liberated till 1944 45 yeah something like that so like three or four or more years they were in like war is just a lifestyle yeah i mean thinking about five years of being an occupied territory while a war is going on yeah um to say nothing of like you know and that's what the people talk about you know like living in israel living in uh northern ireland mm -hmm. living in these places that feel like they're constantly in strife and that a bomb could go off literally at any moment mm -hmm. it's just a different perspective in a way of life i think that yeah. it, I, I i don't know i find it difficult to wrap my mind around and what that what that does to you how you how you reflect on life yeah if you are constantly at war for 500 years the way that your society evolves yeah has to be dramatically affected by that right you know right the fact that you could die or be scheduled to die yeah at any point even some of the social consciousness side of it mm -hmm. like like that we we talked i think before about like uh my obs near obsession with the tv show uh chernobyl right um 
But even uh, something, uh, oh, I've started watching uh, For All Mankind uh, talking about the space race. And they don't talk a whole lot about it, but you get to see little glimpses of kind of like, that's a much stronger Soviet Union in that version mm -hmm. because they win the, the race to the moon. Uh, but the idea that to the Soviets, like it's the opposite of individualism. It's all collectivism. Mm -hmm. It's all for the great, greater good, for all for the nation, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas the United States, we're much more individualistic and we're much more about individual rights and stuff like that. And I think we have developed this idea that that's better. Individualism right. is better than collectivism. Uh, but we see this society that is collective, that it's the like, I, I died, but you know what? Like I'm saving millions upon millions of lives like my life is is for that greater good and, and that yeah responsibility and all of that um i think is very difficult at least for me to wrap my mind around and yeah. i would think that indiv individualism doesn't yeah doesn't jive as well in that society no it doesn't yeah it, it's it's the opposite of kirk you know, Kirk, Kirk comes into that society like a like a bull in a china shop. You know? it's, <laughs> it's the opposite of him. Yeah, he, he's rage against the idea that he might die. You know, constantly. Mm. So, to see people walking obediently, yeah, to the disintegration chamber. That's that's the antithesis of his entire world. It's true. It's true. It feels like surrender, right, or giving up, or yeah, yeah, yeah. Instead yeah. of fighting for it, even though. If this had been a real battle, you know, in a physical sense rather yeah. than just in a computer sense, those people would have died. He says no. He said he he refuses that idea. Right. Right. Well, and because the, the other like part that is uh, interesting to think about um, in a society where the the this machine does all of their fighting for them, they don't really need a military. So yeah, that's true. That could change. Like, would of these, however many people died in this attack, like, would a number of them be military, be soldiers? Mm -hmm. uh, that in and instead, now, granted, it seemed like this was all about launching weapons at each other. So maybe they were civilian targets and blah 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 blah. But yeah, if they have no military, then they need to be like, well, you know, we're gonna lose these people in, in lieu of military or something like that. So right, but nobody needs to serve in the military. So. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, it definitely made me uneasy. It made me uneasy, but I also couldn't fully say, like, no, this is wrong. This is evil that they are doing this. Because, yeah, they, 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 had, a, they had an interesting point just in the, in the uh, humanity yeah. of it all, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, war is terrible. War bad. Yeah, war this bad. Like second we, consecutive episode. Right, we exactly. landed on that. War bad. <laughs> you know, I think, that, I think Kirk has a point. That we should be reminded by how mm. brutal war is. Yeah. I mean, the society has a point, too. That preserving culture, preserving the society mm -hmm. is also important. And if there's a way to do that and still, I mean, have a conflict that apparently they feel like they need to have. Peace is best. But if you have to have war, is a sanitized war better? Hmm. Right. Well, and then I mean, we get back it, to the drones and all of that. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. I don't know. I it, it's an it's an interesting question. Right. I mean, I I I think I in my heart I land more with Kirk. Yeah. That it's that the physicality of it is important. Mm. But I mean, I believe in physicality generally that we should be doing things. Yeah. Physically. Mm. Well, and that kind of that second which i thought was an interesting uh back and forth i guess was that when the seventh archon or whatever his name was like faces off with kirk and has this whole thing about saying that uh you and i are the same we are both killers first and builders second mm. which i didn't quite understand why he was the one saying it right because he seemed like he's captain peace or like this is the peaceful solution mm -hmm. to all of this it feels like that was more Kirk's argument, but that was an interesting back and forth. I even backed up to kind of like jot down specifically what it was that he said, but then even Kirk's landing point at the end where he says, yes, we are killers, but we can decide I'm not going to kill today and right. that, and that's maybe that's all we can do or, or, or something like that. And that, 
I don't know. That was a really interesting perspective, I thought, especially for Gene Roddenberry, where I'm like, I don't think Rod, I haven't thought Roddenberry agreed with that, that he sees us as that is our default. Yeah. That is our primary function is conflict and, and killing. That surprised me too, because I don't even think Kirk believes that. Right. In his, in his other interactions. I don't. See, but I think about even like the last episode when we're watching Balance of Terror and and where the guy, you know, says that like, you know, we are we are two of a kind. We are both warriors and and blah, blah, blah. And there's other parts, too, where it does seem like, yeah, that, that, that he's identified with being a warrior right. or a fighter or whatever. Uh, uh, Space Seed, where yeah. he and Khan and like he says, like. You, you tend to view this as in military terms, but this is just a friendly meal. But Kirk is not treating it as a friendly meal. He is treating it in military terms. Yeah, that's so, true. But there's a difference between being martial, you know, like a military mm, warrior and a killer. Yeah. Do you feel like Kirk is primarily an explorer? Oh, that's a good question. Mm. Or, or science is his primary? I think, to me, what it seems like in the original series, Kirk is the the guy who takes the scientists around and makes sure that they're safe okay but if the scientists weren't there would that change his i think mission i think if you put kirk like in charge of a military vessel yeah i think he would he would have a very different way of way of being hmm I don't know. I feel like I feel like thinking about like you talked about like uh, viewing him as like a marshal, or even like uh, what's his name, like the Lone Ranger mm-hmm. or uh, Bass Reeves, or where he's bringing order to a chaotic galaxy. Like mm-hmm. that. That feels. I don't know. I mean, you know, that's that's the to seek out new life and new civilizations to boldly right. go and own the boldly go part. Okay, the boldly especially mm-hmm. that feels very Kirk E. Does he have this like hunger to see what's out there to explore? Like, ooh, there's something new here. Archer feels like he had a little bit of that to yeah. me, but Kirk, Kirk feels like there's some level of because and, 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 and granted, it's the way that the show goes, right? Where each place that he comes to, he's there's something there's a problem that he can fix. Mm-hmm. And it feels like that's that's his jive. That's that's where and yeah. some of it could be like like the white savior sort of a thing. I know what's best, and I'm going to tell you what's best. That could be, and I mean that's very '60s. That's what mm-hmm. that's you know what uh, I think they were going for. Yeah, is he just dad then? Could be. I think that's how we viewed him towards the towards his his crew. Yeah, he's like the crew's dad. Their their buddy, but ultimately their yeah, they're they're protector, they're protector, guider. So like, killer first. I just don't see it in Kirk. What if you change the word killer to fighter or or I go with warrior. I go with warrior. Yeah. Warrior first, builder second. Yeah, I I think I might agree with that with Kirk. Yeah. So then, what about so if that's Kirk? Like, what about kind of the larger? Are, are we that way as humankind? I mean, for both of us as Christ followers, my impression is that's not what we're supposed to believe about the way God created man, mm-hmm. that we were created to fight. We were created to fight with one another. We do. Yeah, but that's not the plan. Right. I mean, that was Cain and Abel, right? Like, right. Cain, Cain killing Abel yeah. was because of the fall. Yeah. And and that was against God's plan. Yes, and I would also say I don't think Cain attacks Abel because it's his nature, because he's a fighter. I think that was the result of his like rejection, his personal hurt, right. and that comes out in that form. So I feel like that's but that that's striving against each other. That's that friction in human nature that causes us to fight. Okay. I believe that people act rationally. That they act rationally in the way that they do what makes sense to them. Okay. To, to gain what they think is important. Okay. 
So, I mean, and there's people who are schizophrenic where their brain doesn't work. Sure. And they, but they still act rationally according to bad information. I think there's very few people out there who are killing people just for the heck of it. Sure. Okay. Yep. There is something that they're trying to gain. Right. So since the fall, we've had this strife between between person and person. We've okay. Had this strife against the world. There's all this. There's all this friction introduced into the universe. Yeah. Our fighting comes because of that, because we need that resource, or we feel like we've been disrespected. Yeah. Like in Cain and Abel. Right. That we we have all the all these feelings and the way that. We think this is the rational way to to fix that problem is to fight about it, mm. you know, to regain that respect or regain that those resources that I need. And, I, and again, going back to the Roddenberry perspective, I feel like his thought is that human human strife, human conflict is primarily about um, need. Mm-hmm. I need this and there's not enough for the both of us. Mm-hmm. And, and I do wonder how much of that, because, I mean, it doesn't have to be, you know, food. It can be respect. It can be, right. you know, whatever. It can be, there's only, you know, one promotion and either you or I can get it. Yeah. There's only one, um, you know, uh, first in the class. And it's going to be either you or me. Only one of us is going to win this game. Only one of us is going to whatever. And we see that kind of conflict, even in this episode with the ambassador, again, somebody of greater rank coming on the Enterprise and bossing them around. Right. You know? For me, what flies in the face of that is something like communism. Or, mm-hmm. and I mean, of course, that's a, can't say that on, you know, into an, an American, that that could be a, a, a virtue. Uh, but let's just say collectivism. The idea of people coming together to uh, accomplish a common goal. Mm-hmm. That seems to fly in the face of our default is to strive against one another. Uh, and maybe that's the... So I guess it's the question is, is that the exception to the rule? And let's not even... like Let's even put communism and collective, that sort of thing aside. And let's put like... Thinking about like a, uh, like a sports team. I know you're not really a, a, a basketball guy, but for me, I've always thought the best basketball teams are the one where no one on the team cares who scores. Yeah. So anyone on the team can care. So like, if you're going to be the the MVP this game, that's fine. You can be at next play. And there's a, there's a, there's a sense of selflessness. Yeah. So I think the question is, is selflessness the default? Or is selflessness the exception? Like yeah. humans left to their own devices, mm-hmm. are are we naturally selfish or are we naturally selfless? That's a good question. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I would I would say that that naturally people tend to be selfish, and I, I'm going to take okay. I'm going to take a. That from raising a child. Okay. You yep. Know, that, yep. That that is something that you have to teach them. Mm. To, Selflessness to mm. overcome. That's true. It requires that self discipline. Yeah. About giving this up. We were just talking uh, this morning. Okay. So uh, there were this morning there were two waffles left over. I yes. made waffles yesterday. Yes. And. Um, my son came out and I prepared a waffle for him. Uh, my wife uh, was heading out the door. I packed the other waffle in her bag. Yeah. And I was sitting down with my usual breakfast of sourdough bread with butter. Excellent. That's, <laughs> that's who I am. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> now. Yeah, there it is. But, um, he said, "Papi, why don't you have Why aren't you having waffles?" I said, "Well, there was two left." And he said. So why did you give why did you give them to me and Mama? Well, because you guys wanted them, and I I hadn't really given it any thought. Sure, this was not a planned lesson in right. selflessness, <laughs> you know. But just being an example that hey, you guys want them, I have them. I'm going to give them to you. Yeah. Because I love you and I want to do something nice for you. You know, or not even that. It's just that is 
that is what is what is right to do is mm. to give it to first give to other per, to give to another person yeah right and then you know if it comes back to you or whatever that's fine but first give of yourself that that should be our primary goal is to give of ourselves but that requires self discipline mm. and i mean there's plenty of times when i i there's one piece of apple pie left and I eat it. Sure. You know? Yeah. <laughs> because I'm not perfect. Right. I don't... Yeah, but that's something you have to teach. Mm. And that's something that we honor people who have really overcome their selfishness. Yeah. And I don't think um, communism is always the answer here. No. Right, because... But collectivism time, is more... And that's maybe that's also the what makes that so such a challenge. Is that if we are by default individualistic, mm -hmm. is that calling us to be communal is 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 a is an ask, right? And and, it, and it's so often coercive, right? That's that, true. That's exactly. why it doesn't oh, yeah. work. Yeah, that's right? why the yeah. There's been a lot of talk lately of the idea of community, you know, and living mm -hmm. in community and holding collectivist Christian collectivist thought. Yeah, but that that's all elective, and I think those those communities when well-founded yeah and when all the people know what what it is when they go into it yeah those work out really well and there's some really neat things coming out of communities like mm -hmm. that it's elective yeah and people are choosing to live in what i believe in in a christian way of self-sacrifice right. to each other right and, and that's I, what's so important yeah I think the biggest reason Americans have been so anti-Soviet Union, anti-communism, isn't so much the collectivism. Uh, I mean, to be fair, like I do think that is an alternate worldview that uh, rivaled the American worldview, mm -hmm. and that's why they were the two superpowers come out of World War II, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but what we see is usually that is usually that loss of not like loss of freedom, is that not hey, this is all for the greater good, but more it's all for the good of those in power. Is that I think the way that we explain the Soviet Union is that it wasn't, hey, they were one collective group, but it was no, the, the government controlled all of the people and forced them to do whatever they wanted. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons I think that, you know, the, there's such a, a push against socialism and everything like that today is because it's seen as government control, not as collective, you know, they, action or sacrifice somebody above you still controls the means of production right and that's the problem exactly maybe that's the other part too is that if we do have by default we are individualistic uh and then we're put in a collective environment aren't we still going to strive for our own individual elevation yeah and so we become the premier of the soviet union aren't we going to lord that over people right uh, for me, and that's one of the things that I've found so compelling about uh, the person of Jesus, is that he, it's not just that he champions selflessness and obviously modeled it, you know, the, the cross and, and many other things, but that uh, I think that he says this is the way that human life is designed to be. Mm -hmm. It's that idea that through, and, and you bring up a great point, I think, with like children that haven't learned this per se but i would say that our world teaches that like our world especially in america teaches, oh, teaches individualism yeah. teaches you know fine i mean even like Those my son dearly hold, held tenant oh yeah society. oh yeah. yeah and even you know like like uh we were playing uh shoots and ladders yesterday and my son <laughs> every time he wins he goes i win i win and you lose i win and you lose and it's just like <laughs> no no why does that or if he doesn't win he gets very very upset that mm -hmm. he lost and i you win and i lose and i'm just like and that's that's kind of ingrained in in our our society mm -hmm. in our culture uh, and then Jesus comes along and says, that's what's like, that's not the way it's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. It's supposed to be definitively selfless. And it's supposed to be, I mean, for me, I always go back to like my view of marriage and of love is that love is not supposed to be selfish. I always think when I was a kid, I got this uh, comic book 
really lousy comic book called Secret Wars 2. Have I told you about this? Yeah. Okay. And that there's this, like, learning how to love. And this one character tells this other character, uh, I love you. And he says, like, no, you don't love me. You just appreciate what I have done for you. Mm -hmm. And I remember reflecting on, like, that's that's love, isn't it? I do stuff for you, and you give me love in return. Like, that's that's the exchange we're making. And instead, trying to say, like, no, I think, like, love, love, true, like, is selfless giving. I'm going to love you whether you love me in return or not. Mm -hmm. That's not the reason I love you. And it's not even that I love you because you are attractive or I love right. you because of this. Like, no, I'm choosing to love you, period. And you're choosing to love me, period. And that's th those two things are in some way separate. Yeah. It's not like we're trading love for love. Like, my love attempts to be don't get me wrong it's obviously not self like like perfect but attempts to be you know as selfless as possible yeah and that's and the ideal exactly and and having that idea that that's the way that human life you know going back to the way that we were originally created mm -hmm. right uh, that's key. exactly right. until we you know turn that in and i mean you know going biblically back to the garden of eden right. that was the whole thing of you know you can have this for your own right you can have this yeah. knowledge of whatever that god says he's not going to give you or whatever you know the woman saying like "Ooh, yeah i want that i will take that i like not thinking about what's the best thing for the world or for you know mm -hmm. anything like that and it's being reconciled with god that helps us it helps us achieve that selfless love, mm. you know, and, and it's, I don't believe it's a, it's an unattainable goal. You know, I, I think that their history is full of examples of people who have loved selflessly, yes. even unto death. Yes. Just like Jesus Christ. I mean, yep. Jesus Christ is different. Sure. But, I mean, same and different. We could get yes. to the theology of that. <laughs> but, <laughs> but there are other people, regular people. Of course. Who have loved selflessly unto death. Yep. Like Elon and, Musk. <laughs> Did you see about, what was it about? He was, because uh, uh, he's giving free internet to Ukraine. And he was grumbling that the government wasn't going to pay. And so he's, and then he tweeted out, I think yesterday, about like, I guess I'll continue to give it to him for free because the government gives other people money, but they won't give people to uh, me money. He's basically Jesus Christ. <laughs> or he wants to, yeah, he wants the, like, do you guys know how selfless I'm being? Because I'm kind of being selfless right now. It's terrible. Right. Watch, he's one of our 10 listeners. Come on, Elon. Get it together, bro. <laughs> this is a message for you, Elon Musk. <laughs> this is important, I think, for our our lives. I think it I think you're right that this is how human interaction was meant to be. Right. Selfless love. Yep. That that was the ideal. In the Garden of Eden, yep. you know, we would all have selfless love for each other. Yep. And my sermon landing point would be that's when Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven, like uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth right. as it is in heaven. That's what he's talking Amen. about. Amen. This yeah. is what this is what life could look like, just like Archon Seven, just like they were trying to go for. That's what real love. No, no. no. <laughs> I forgot how this right attached to that. Right. Well, no, because because I think what what the point that they're making either you know intentionally or unintentionally is by saying I'm a killer first, I'm a builder second mm. is ultimately we 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 are con we con conflict before we we build or we think about ourselves before we think about others. Mm -hmm. I think it's the same sort of concept which again makes no sense for that guy to no. be saying. Kirk could said that, but he's not going to say that. And and even even his argument of like I can decide not to kill today isn't quite the same thing as saying like I can be selfless or I can give today. Like yeah. the absence of conflict is not necessarily the presence of peace. No. We could even say with the like our first part so. Yep. Wow. Yep. Okay. Love good. Amen. Love, Love good, war bad is the landing <laughs> point. See, that's, we, 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 yeah, we got to get it down to one little nugget that you can put on a bumper sticker. And then, um, Trekology says, love good, war bad. Yep. 
Merchandise coming soon. Merchandise coming soon. Well, all right, my friends. Uh, that's uh, that's what we got to say about this episode for this episode. Um, our next episode, we have closed out the original series. We're going to do three of, of each uh, major series. Um, but before we move away from our buddies Kirk and Spock and McCoy and the rest, uh, we're going to dive into a movie next episode uh because obviously after the original series they still had six and a half movies to come so we thought we are gonna grab our buddy robert and we are going to dive in to star trek to the wrath of khan so it'll be very interesting there's a lot of stuff i've already got several things uh that i could uh talk for hours and hours about but hopefully only 15 minutes um <laughs> plenty to chew on um i'm not sure if i don't think robert's seen this movie yeah i don't know so that should be a, an interesting perspective uh especially be, then that we're not really just going to be analyzing the movie but we want to be talking about the themes and the things that right. we uh are inspired to think about because of that movie so that should be great that will be coming uh the beginning of november so look forward to that well thank you as always for joining us we will catch you next time but before we go as always live long and prosper Peace and long life.